Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the no BS marketing podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. If what you're working on never works out, like, just take the exact same idea and apply it to this regulated industry. We're just far behind. Like, this seems like something that, like, might be normal in other industries. But, like, for us, it's, like, brand new. And taking that same mentality to B2B SaaS, you're looking at what's happening in the B2C realm. You're looking at what's happening within modern like media and you're applying it back into software and so it's just a reapplication of existing ideas what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the marketing millennials today i have one of the co-founders of lavender on the podcast will what's up will hey daniel appreciate it uh good to be here i want to first dig into who you are and how did you start lavender and then we can get into some fun stuff So I'm one of the co-founders at Lavender. We help sellers write emails that are objectively good. We got started off of a pivot in 2020. Uh, We were actually working on a MarTech product at the time focused on customer segmentation. We found a lot of marketers needed assistance on the content for said segments. And so we were building some products around that. COVID kind of killed the the dream there. And so we repurposed it into some one-to-one tech. And uh, we've been off to the race ever since. If you haven't seen Lavender's strategy, Lavender has been all over social. And um, especially if you're a seller or marketer, you probably have seen Lavender. I want to go into how you think about, you've been putting on community and cool events. How do you think about community for Lavender? Yeah, I think a lot of this comes from how we got started. So Lavender, in a lot of ways, is a very social native brand. Uh, We didn't really find traction until we leaned into platforms like LinkedIn, where it was actually Nick Bennett was the first person to do a LinkedIn post about Lavender. You know Nick Bennett? Yeah, I do know Nick. Yeah, yeah. So Nick does a post about us, and all of a sudden we see installs go boop. And like we're looking at that, and we're like, Not only is it boop, it's very specific to a use case, a particular persona, it's sales. And so we just decided to like lean right into that. Yeah, I think the week after I started posting every weekday for the next three years. And so that's that's really where a lot of this like engagement started, where it all kind of began. And so starting from a product that was servicing the individual user we got really into the weeds with our users because we were just in the weeds on comments, in the weeds in DMs, having conversations with them, trying to figure out exactly how to best build the product for scale, you know, what challenges people are facing, just getting into the nitty gritty of the problems sales reps were facing back in 2020. And as a byproduct of that, we fostered a lot of this community involvement, connection with our users that even as we've gone into 
having teams-oriented products and selling to organizations as opposed to individual users. One of the big reasons we're winning deals in market is because the individual users love our product so much. And so even selling top-down, we create bottoms-up growth wherever we're going. Your community for us is, it's just been baked into our ethos from the beginning in the sense that yeah, it's not some online forum. It's not some monthly meetup. It's meeting our users where we are with the sole purpose and focus of how can we be as helpful for them as possible. And I think one of the things of your strategy that I want you to kind of talk through is because like ultimately like the users aren't always going to be the decision makers and who's going to buy lavender. So how did you think about going through like the next level of I want to capture AEs or SDRs that are going to use this product instead of going after and talking to like their managers or like the manager's managers on how to buy the product. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's definitely true today. Right. Um, but I think the way people buy right now in particular is like, no one wants to buy something that people don't want to use. Right. There's plenty of non-useful tech in a lot of companies' tech stacks. And so when we're having those conversations today, it's definitely those roots of how we got started um, has played a big role in our ability to win and close deals. The initial offering, we didn't have a team plan until somebody asked us for it. And only then like it started as like, hey, I just need to consolidate billing. We are like, cool. What else would you want as a manager for the product to do? And then we started to build those things. And then we started to roll out like more thoughtful dashboarding to assist in that. And so, yeah, the pieces have come together strictly from, you know, demand from the users and like this community that we've fostered of folks that are using our software and, and loving it on a daily basis. I want to go into like the different parts of the community strategy. So, Let's start with LinkedIn and then we can go to the events next. Um, LinkedIn. So how do you think about it? Because I see, for example, everybody, like most people on the marketing team and the founders are, are posting on LinkedIn on Lavender. Is, that, is, it, is it a thoughtful strategy that was panned out? How do you foster people to be posting? And how do you get that to ultimately create more and more raving fans for Lavender? So there's a few pieces to unpack there. The original reason we started posting on LinkedIn, right? comes back to Nick posting and seeing that uptick and then me posting and seeing a bigger uptick. Yeah, as we were doing this, these online communities were spinning up things like Rev Genius, Thursday night sales, where we were just like, these are the folks that we want using our product. Let's be there, let's be with them in these like groups and like areas and like, try to get to know what they're dealing with, try to be helpful in any way possible. I think that's been one of the like core things that's been helpful in us fostering that. And so taking it from the top, right? You mentioned the founders are posting, the founders are active in these communities. That sets the stage for everybody across the company to understand that that's the expectation and that's the norm. And it's encouraged for folks to be posting actively it's never a requirement of course right but you know if i see somebody on my team start posting like i'll encourage that i'll 
support that through likes and comments, but also in like one-on-one conversation being like, hey, saw you posting more. It's awesome. Yeah, you're posting where our users live and yeah, it helps keep us top of mind, but also continues to showcase the brand, what we value and yeah, how we want to show up in this. Yeah, it's funny. We keep saying the word community, right? But like, it's really just, yeah, on LinkedIn, it's where our users are. We're just coming to meet them. And I think that's the key to community. I think people confuse that community has to be a Slack channel or something. Community is just fostering individuals to talk with each other, share common thoughts, encourage users to be in a place and and showing up where they are. And it looks different for everybody. Like for you, one, it's on LinkedIn. And two, we could talk about the next like things you do for the community, which if you want to talk through what you did at Saster, that was like got everybody talking about like an event that happened at Saster that got everybody talking which is basically a big community play as well. It definitely is. I mean, there's there's two core things that kind of speaks to. One is the community element. The other is a thing we talk about internally all the time, which is as a company, we should always be trying to find those moments where it makes the most sense to zag when other people are zigging. And this, this comes directly from my co-founder from the top where it's very much so a mindset of like, yeah, if we see everybody doing the same thing, do something different. And like that feeds into like even our posting strategy, right? Like when we're posting content, the content is two core things that really haven't been done before. And it's created a lot of brand mode in a lot of ways, which is we focus on objective opinions when it comes to email. And we focus on the buyer's perspective to give that data context. Those are like two things that really haven't been brought together in a thoughtful way. But thinking about the party or yeah, the event we put on at Saster, right? We rented out an airplane hangar. We kept the event venue secret until like the Monday prior. Yeah, we hyped it up. We did something pretty big, right? We had over... I think it was just around like a thousand one hundred people show up to crazy an event, and yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> it's it was pretty wild to like put on. And I think the thing that like really blows people's mind is like, yeah, we didn't do a booth. We literally spent less money than we would on a booth by a long shot, and we we're able to make no- more noise and more like attention in doing so. Um. Part of that is, yeah, we're throwing an event focused on the IC, the individual person that would be using our product, as opposed to how everybody else thinks about it, which is let's put an event on for a CRO. I want to get them at the dinner table and I want to like feed them wine and talk to them about like why they should buy my product. And I'm like, that's so much a dated mindset. Like the buying committee is so much bigger these days. But the other piece being, Like, where's the white space on the calendar? Where are people as far as, um, like, what events are happening around it? Can we, like, partner with those other events to, like, feed into that, like, one space? Like, one one group actually helped pay for a bus from their party to our party because they were, like, yeah, it's perfect, like, 
tie into what we're doing and like it allows us to like add into that experience right and so it's to a degree like you see people trying to emulate some of the things that we're doing at conferences and they're missing the mark where it's like disruptive pattern disrupts but not necessarily with the same positive intention of just like how do we put on something to just like celebrate the people that celebrate us on a daily basis Usually when people go all out, does it, it's just to get like attention. They don't really have a specific person in mind. Like, oh, I'm going to give do this huge giveaway or I'm going to do like this crazy thing in my booth. But it doesn't really have like a specific thing in mind. And two, one thing I think you could, I, I know you, I did, you didn't really hit on, but like this party was like more like a, a night later party where like more like SDRs, BDRs, AEs would probably attend versus like, a CRO is probably not going to like an airplane hangar and partying. So like it really targets the people who are, I mean, most conferences, let's be honest, people are coming and they didn't want to say it, but like a lot of them are coming for the business, but a lot of, a lot of them are going to go party after and find a way to party. So, sure. and it's a lot of them are AE. So how do you think about that? I think about that in a number of ways, right? Which is like, we have, even when we're selling top down, it's like a completely cold account where we don't have seats. One of the things we do is we just try to like place our product in the hands of some key reps as we're initially doing that like break in. Right. And so like top of mind awareness across, across these accounts is like crucial in that I can sit at the conference and have a conversation with the CRO and like, yeah, invite them to the party and like joke that it might be past their bedtime. And they'll be like, yeah, I know all my reps are going. And you're like, perfect. That's all I need. Which is like, yeah, if they come, great. And like, I'll make a point to like see them at said event. But if they don't, like the top of mind awareness that came from getting all the reps there still existed and still was successful. I think also what happened was like, even not only reps were talking about it, but like, I mean, I heard about it from, leaders as well who said like oh this was a cool like event that lavender put on for ae so like i didn't hear even hear it from like an sdr ae i heard it from like kyle lacy who runs marketing yeah yeah but it's like i hear you hear like that's what's the sign of a good event if people are like after the event talking about the event saying like it was a great event like that's like the sign of like you're doing something right if you get people to talk, share, invite yeah. other people. Like that's a, the true sign of a good event. I, I do think in a lot of ways we have an unfair advantage here and that my co-founder, his background when he was in college, he ran like an events business where he was like doing promotions and like, yeah, helping DJs set up events and stuff. And so like this stuff comes very naturally to him. And then like our team and this comes for a lot of teams, right? Where it's just like you put like a core objective in front of their head of like, yeah, here's the standard that we expect to meet. And like, let's just go get it done. And like we have engineers like helping put the event together. We've got folks in CS and marketing, making sure everybody gets registered and like making sure the registration's checked at the door. Like we've got folks like doing a beer run because like, you know, we had more people show up than we honestly expected. Right. And it's like, the whole team comes together and helps make sure these events go off without a hitch. It's um, 
yeah, it's it's a bit of I, I think of it as like an unfair advantage and that like how tight knit we are and making sure these things go off without a hitch. I wouldn't even like call it an unfair advantage. I would call it playing to your strength. And that's like the key to community too, is like community one is one. Do I have the resources to execute like that community play one? You have the resources to post on LinkedIn every day, which is good for you. You are now you have a, you have someone on your team who's really great at events that now can put on events. It's like a resource that you, and you can execute it at A plus. So you're just doing things that are you executing at A pluses on places where you're luckily there are places where your salespeople hang out. So I think that's like the key to community too is having great resources that can execute in places where your your audience hangs out. Yeah. And to that point on like playing the strengths, right? It um like, you know, our team loves to create some good content, right? I'm, I'm not sure if you saw what, like, in some Practical Jokers video, right? It's, mm-hmm. like, we're using almost, like, you know, the tent pole of, like, here's when we're having this event, right? And it's, like, things can spring off of that where it's, like, Sam, our SDR, is in a conversation with a leader. And it's, just like, it's not, like, necessarily facilitating in the right direction for sales, but you can immediately pivot back to, okay, cool. Like, hey, we're having this like thing. It's like, it becomes nurture or like our marketing team using inviting people to the event as marketing content. Like those are all things that kind of fit into these core strengths of like how we sell, how we operate. And it's like, yeah, not everybody's ready to buy right away. And so like we know to like soften the approach and like move people through of just like knowing who we are and where we're going, right? Or, you know, we know we need to go create content. So why don't we use this other piece to work around that? I think one thing also that you could talk to a little bit is like you talk about the impractical joker one, but like you using like you with your content as well, you're taking inspiration from things that people understand in general culture, like ESPN impractical jokers and you're tying it to like your content which that's what original ideas are to me it's taking a piece of content and tying it to another piece of content and making a new idea like that's just basically what original ideas are but you have to be in culture to understand that that's how you should be doing it and you have to deeply understand your expertise to connect the dots yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know where the impractical jokers stemmed from. I don't know if it was Todd or Aiken, because those two are both just incredibly creative. I know Todd from a like company culture standpoint has been incredibly creative when it comes to thinking through those things where like he thinks through these lens of like, okay, that's familiar and like it's a format. Like these shows have created these formats, right? Because they work. It's not because they're like that you'll notice like some of these trends like repeat and repeat. And so Todd's brilliant to notice and pick up on those things and be like, how do we repurpose that same core mindset and put that into a type of show, a thing that we're doing. Also, I think if you go even deeper into that is a lot of AEs are sports fans. So like, if you like could tie into like an interest of your target audience and you tie into like what they're doing, it becomes like a good companion to each other to to be able basically now I could put out something that's based on someone's interest and 
valuable content. And then now I can, it's a home run hitting piece of content. Oh yeah. We, we've got a few like show ideas that we've talked through where some of it really comes down to just like, like some of it's like just repurposing Netflix shows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the way, I mean, sometimes you like, like I always say like reinventing the wheels, just like innovating on the existing wheel that exists. So like, Sometimes, especially you're still in like startup mode, even like startup growth mode, you can't always like think of original ideas all the time. So what can you do to take that already exists and make it unique to you and different to you? Like you're not, you're just copying a format. You're not copying what they're talking about, like the voices in there. You're just trying to make something relatable and relevant. It reminds me of some advice I got early on in my entrepreneurial career, which was it was from a healthcare exec where they were talking to me and they were like, listen, like if what you're working on never works out, like just take the exact same idea and apply it to this regulated industry. And he was, he was like laughing because he's like, you know, we're just far behind. Like this seems like something that like might be normal in other industries, but like for us, it's like brand new. And taking that same mentality to B2B SaaS, you're looking at what's happening in the B2C realm. You're looking at what's happening within modern like media and you're applying it back into software. And so it's just a reapplication of existing ideas that are happening from a more progressive, an area where it's you know, having better effect. And so you're just reapplying the same lessons into a new space where they haven't been applied yet. We're now in a stage in software where most software products are commodities that need to have a, a brand attached. I mean, they might have like something X better or like they might do something way better than the other, but most of them, there's so much competitive. Uh, the, the landscape is getting greater and greater for tools that people need to buy. So how can you stand out, be different, be relevant to your audience? There's a great piece of research out of UCLA where they were looking at two main factors and like how it contributed to overall choice. And one was top of mind awareness and the other was true preference. And so the case study went through like two core like categories, one being fast food, the other on like shoes, right? And so like if I ask you like what's the first shoe brand that comes to mind? You're asking me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, it's Nike, but right because I'm wearing it right now. And if I asked you what shoe you prefer, it's Nike too, because right. And so what you see actually in like behavior and choice is Nike performs like leaps and bubs, like beyond everybody else. Now, those things that aren't necessarily top of mind, the companies like Brooks, for example, there might be a group of people that have pure preference towards them. But since they don't have that top of mind awareness, they don't have the market dominance. The example with fast food brings it even more to life, which is the first fast food comes to mind is typically McDonald's. And then you ask people what their preference is, and it's typically like a Chick-fil-A. And what you find is those two from like gross volume of sales are like top of the list. And it's like Chick-fil-A is not always top of mind and McDonald's is not always preferred. But it's truly like a 50-50 on the matrix of like what ends up being the overall choice. But it also shows like, I mean, I mean, Nike isn't 
always the best shoe. They, I mean, I, I could think of like four shoes that are as great as Nike, but people want to show off like it's a community for them like if someone else is wearing nikes you're like oh we're in like that nike community we're like we know each other like it's it's a community for them if you're wearing nikes and it's funny like different things different tactics different strategies are going to bring people into that community more effectively than others right so for me it was the phil knight like book shoe dog like i it wasn't like a Nike diehard. And then I read that book and I was like, damn, Nikes are cool. <laughs> it's just because yeah. it connected with me on a founder founder level the versus somebody else that might be like an influencer or like it's just a cool looking shoe that they released that like snags somebody's attention. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because the way you say that, say it like that. I mean, I went off Nike for a little bit, but now I've just got into tennis and I've seen like all the tennis players and they're actually winning the market too because like I was looking at on cloud because like now they're like in tennis for me it's just on cloud and Nike because I just see see those two people yeah you see Roger Federer and then yeah and Shelton and then I see Nike shoes but I was gonna look get on clouds but they didn't have my size so I was like okay most other people are wearing Nike so that's why I'm gonna get these tennis shoes because most other people are wearing Nike it's just top of mind I could have there's probably 10 other best tennis shoes I could have gone with, but the, the yeah. top athletes are wearing this, so why should I not wear it? There's a sales community that spun up. I don't know if it, I don't even know if it's still around, but I love the way they produce stuff because we were talking about examples of where people have taken B2C concepts and brought them into B2B. Whiskey Wednesday on the sales community front. Let's just assume it's still there. I think it is. The way they run the show it was almost like a late night with you know johnny carlson like type vibe of like they've got really fun like graphics that float in music interesting like compelling interruptions that are going on like somebody calls in and like complains about spam callers and like it's like funny little like quirky moments that you would see on a late night show but like nobody's thought to do that within a sales community, right? Like sales community today to have been like, yeah, hey, let's, let's have a Zoom meeting and let's talk about like strategy as opposed to like, how do we entertain people? Which is, it's cool he has come into the world of B2B. Most people right now are overwhelmed with all these Zoom stuff and events and content and you have to give them a reason to show up and consume give them a reason to attend your event and it can't just be that my content is good it has to be like something next level where it's it's the most entertaining show that everybody's talking about yeah. it's the party that someone can't get into it's the the talk of the ta- it's this there's a celebrity guest there like you have to go more odd it doesn't have to be to the celebrity guest but it has to be something that you can't get anywhere else otherwise you're just becoming again a commodity with content now too because you can't you can get that content somewhere else yeah as soon as we see folks adopt something that we're doing it's like okay well we got to do something different now that's just like mentality that we baked into the organization of like okay is it still working yes or no Okay, it's still working. Maybe we should keep doing it. But 
if we're starting to see results from whatever said thing is lag, it's like, okay, let's start about what's like, let's start thinking about what's different and like what we can be doing differently. I think that's a great mentality too. I think one, like continue the stuff that's still working, but you know, there's going to be an end date if more and more people start copying. But also I think there's something to say about being the first mover in that type of content. Cause I even see it with like the marketing millennials. Like I see tons of other meme marketing pages get spin up. But like when you think of meme marketing, like meme company pages, Mm -hmm. they think marketing millennials, even though there's like, probably now I see a hundred now, not the meme mark, but like you was, I was like, marketing millennials, it was was an original idea. I looked at other meme pages and just brought it to marketing. But I'm the only, I was the first one to start doing it and grew it bigger. Now, like the other ones are like, might get mentioned, but when they, th- the connection between that type of content and marketing millennials are synonymous now. So. Yeah. What's the, um, the other one that comes to mind is the Scott Brinker always reposts this stuff. It's um, the marketunist or. Oh yeah. You might argue he's the original. Um, yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom Fishburne. Yeah, yeah, Fishburne. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but to your point, right? It's um, because you were first, because you did it first. When other people do it, like the meme page, for example, people immediately associate it back to you, not necessarily them as a byproduct. It actually yeah, they're like, oh, they see a meme and they'd be like, oh, the market millennials, even if it wasn't market millennials meme. So it's, it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it's exactly right, which is like it reinforces some of that first mover advantage. Also, I've changed like the, the, like you said, I've changed the way I've done things over time. I went from like tweets to like images to this, but like I still like kept the consistency of like having things that are first mover. But when people started like doing more tweets on the feed, I was like, okay, this is getting kind of overplayed by everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still a good strategy, but I'll, I'll just start adding in memes now because the strategy is kind of getting overplayed a little bit. It still works, but I want to separate myself with another yeah. piece of content. Copy AI in like the early days. One of the reasons Twitter became such an effective platform for them was yeah, they leaned into video before other people were doing video on LinkedIn or on uh, Twitter or X now, right? Uh, but like, it's just like, how do you stand out in that platform? And it's just like, okay, well, let's just use a content format that people aren't using. It's very simple stuff that like is intuitive once you hear it, right? Which is like, okay, nobody's posting memes. I will post memes, right? It's uh, it's finding that white space and capitalizing on it. Yeah, like Gong using data and content. Like it wasn't like a, a revolutionary idea, but it got separated them because they just were like, "Oh, I'll just share cool data points about content." And totally. Uh, so totally. Yeah, I also want to go into a question I ask everybody in this podcast: is what is a marketing hill you would die on? Yeah, and I'm somewhere between. I'll die on the hill of like gated content is an old school methodology. And like, it's not necessarily gated. Yeah. I just hate gated content. It's just like the most annoying thing to me when you're introducing some like friction point to me getting content 
which is like the whole wait i feel like there's like a core rule of the internet which is like content will find a way to be distributed as frictionless as possible and as a byproduct like when you gate things you are trying to stand in the way of that like law and so what ends up happening in reality is like either people don't read it which is bad overall like okay you've sacrificed your idea getting shared for some benefit for you as opposed to the benefit for the user and the other piece is like it just introduces a false belief that you're tracking correctly when in reality one person goes and downloads it and then shares it with 10 others and you're like oh like i don't actually have attribution for that moment um so those are like i'm big anti-gated content person i think it's it gives people a false sense of comfort for me my opinions on gated content go like zigzag because i think like for gated content to me i hate it in like 98 percent of the scenarios but i do think if you can if that content that you're gating is 10x like the content out there and you actually put a lot of a lot of time in it and you're trying to validate the reason you're doing said content in the first place yeah exactly like yeah or you're trying to or the 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 motive is like hey this is a way like get on the email list, then you're going to receive a newsletter plus like this piece of cool content. Like it's like a, a plus something like two. To, to, I don't really, I mean, I hate getting content in general, but I've seen people do it very well. But the way it doesn't succeed is like probably only 5% of people read the gated content that's sent to them. If you even look at like the ones that the old school's tactics of I'll email you, the operates of those emails are like, 40 percent and then like the clicks are like glass and then you only got like three percent of people that gave you an email reading that said content that you wanted to which to that point right you're creating like friction you got their email now great but they never actually heard the idea that's going to influence the way they think which is going to get them to go eventually be of the mindset to be ready to buy your product yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I'm more in the sense like if it's a, maybe a free tool that they keep using, like maybe get them an email, like something. Sure. That they I'm, at a, I'm at a I'm at fair advantage in the sense that we've got a freemium product. So yeah, like exactly, is, and you got it. We we've got some things that make some of this these feelings unique to us. So I understand why other companies are approaching it differently. The next question, it's not really a question, but where could people find you and what Lavender's doing and all that good stuff? The easiest way to find me is LinkedIn. Uh, I post there Monday through Friday. I've been doing it for the past three plus years now. Yeah, I'm getting a lot more active on Twitter. But um, across the board, um, I try to be fairly active in all my inboxes across all of them. Obviously, yeah, that's easier said than done. It used to be. Uh, a lot easier than it is these days. But yeah, I would say across socials is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Oh, well, thank you so much. Also, you guys have a cool content thing that you launched, Lavender Land. So if people want yes. sales content, they can go chill there or go look what they're doing. It's cool stuff. It's a good way to run B2B content marketing and community. So they're a good example of that. So thank you for joining. It's been great. Well, and appreciate the the praise, man. It means a lot coming from you. Yeah, 
the lavender land has been it's been in the works for a long time so it's a cool sort of like video focused content like series oriented place to go to just like one be entertained but to be educated in the process back to all these things right it's like how do we try things that are different and stand out well you definitely are standing out but thank you so much for coming on and i appreciate it yeah hey thank you appreciate it thanks so much for listening Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.